God has blessed us uh, in so many ways with visions of what he wants his church to be. He has given us so many ideas about how to build and grow the congregation that he calls his own. Uh, And so we're always looking for ways to see what God can do to extend the ministry in our lives and, and then in the community. So several years ago, I got a phone call from a friend, and he said, we need to talk and have some lunch together. I got something to, to run by you. Great. We, we do this periodically, and so we got together. And he said, um, okay, it's kind of weird, and you're going to think I'm off my rocker, but I'm getting ready to have access to a ton of money. Yes, I do think you're off your rocker. Um, you know, I didn't see him take the drugs, but evidently something, you know. What? You're getting ready to come into a lot of money. And he said, yeah. He said, and what I want to talk to you about is, is having you actually help me use the portion of it that's for the Lord in always, you know, just at least a tithe of it is going to be going toward ministry purposes. I think I, I think I can work with you on this. I think I think I can. We can do that. And uh, so it's good to have a kingdom mentality at that point, rather than just your own congregation, be able to say, "How can Lord use this?" He said, "Well, let me let me kind of throw this in there. It's, I'm not talking about like you know, a hundred dollars a month or something. I'm, I'm not talking about like a thousand a month. I'm talking about like, okay, bear with me. I, I'm talking about like a million or so a year to begin with, and then." Over the years, it's, it'll be multiplying, and it'll, it'll get actually to be a lot of money after a while. Okay, you had me at million. Um, so, you know, what are we talking about? And he said, well, eventually, he says, the way this thing is looking like it's rolling out, it could be as much over the next 10 years. It's probably, a, you know, a billion dollars or something going into ministry purposes. Just that's the tithe portion of it. I'm going like, who are you and what did you do with my friend? And what is going on here? And so we started talking about it and thinking through what this was going to look like. And, and so I went to work and, uh, and started thinking through, okay, what would we do with kingdom money of that magnitude? What would that look like? We started thinking through it. And meanwhile, we're meeting together periodically. I'm giving them updates and figuring out what we could do and how that would look. And then I get another call from another guy. And he says, hey, I'd love to have lunch with you. I want to talk to you about something. And he brings out the same kind of thing. Totally different. One was, you know, on a business model that was over here doing this. And, and this guy is saying, you know, I'm an inventor and this is what I've done. And I've got this and this and this. And, and this is going to produce this. And we're waiting on this. But then we're talking about a lot of money. Yeah, I'm, I'm familiar with that concept. <laughs> you know, hadn't seen a penny, but I'm familiar with the concept. And so we walked that through. And so we've got two different characters who were talking about investing a ton of money in kingdom work. Now, for those of you who are wondering, no, that's not why I've stepped aside at Providence because I'm living off the fat of the land now. This was awesome. It's great. Neither one of them ever came through, right? Neither one of them were basket case weirdos. They, it just was something that didn't happen. There was actually a third thing that happened a few years before that where somebody says, I've, I've got this deal with selling gold and percentages and stuff, and, I, and we're going to do this. And I'm thinking, Lord, do I, do I have an X on my chest that says pick on David about these things? But what God did through that process, he exposed some things about my heart that I was not aware of. Because what he was showing me, and, and I'm still not clear entirely why in the world did these guys come to me with these crazy ideas about this vast amount of money. I couldn't figure out why, and I still don't know exactly. But one of the things is that God put his finger on a part of my heart that 
showed me that I got more excited about the possibilities of human resources like that coming to bear on kingdom work than the promises that he's already given me in the word. That's embarrassing to say for a pastor. I trusted more in man than the word of God. You know, okay, you, you're all dismissed now. I mean, you don't have to listen to anything else I say after that point because it was a, it was a revelation about something about me that was, that was just not something I wanted to be true of me, that I trusted more in man's promises than God's promises. And so God wants us to understand that there is something valued for us as believers that is a surpassing value goes beyond human understanding. And so therefore, I want to take you to a passage of Scripture, Matthew chapter 13. invite you to turn there. And, and when we finish reading it, you're going to probably say like I did when I first read this, is, is, is that it? This, that's all there is to it? Yeah? It's just three verses. And you want more information. You want to say, well, well, Jesus, how did that work out? And what did they do then? And how does this unfold? But he, he just... Here it is, boom, and he moves on to the next thing. And so he begins in verse 44 of Matthew chapter 13 with this very succinct parable. The kingdom of heaven, verse 44, is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered it up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. And, and, no, there's no other and. He just stops there. And then he starts on a different subject, really actually the same subject, just a different way of talking about it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Okay, we need the Spirit of God to help us understand what that is all about. So would you pray with me? Let's just ask God to do that. Father, we don't have the capacity to think with clarity, all that Jesus thought and wanted to convey with those three verses. And yet, Lord, the same Spirit which inspired this to be recorded for us is now working here in this place on this day. We have confidence in the the veracity of this Scripture. We have confidence in the power of your Spirit to take truth and power, bring them together in our lives, and effect change so that we are transformed. We are made complete, mature men and women of God as we see Christ formed in us. Lord, that's what you're looking to do. May we be faithful in seeking that together for Christ's sake. Amen. This is an interesting picture here. There's, there's something else going on than maybe we originally are thinking when we read these passages. Some have looked at this passage and say, isn't that an awesome picture of God's love for us? That the Father sought us out as sinners, found us as his great pearl, and gave everything, his only begotten son, that we might have eternal life. What a great picture. And then that second picture, the same thing, that we are such a great treasure to the Father, that that he gave everything, that that treasure in the field might become his through Christ. Totally true. But I don't think that's the point of the passage. I mean, he does love us sacrificially. He did that for us. We, we get that. That is true. 
while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We, we do believe that and understand that. But, but I think Jesus is pointing out something else. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like this. And then he points out two major issues that we want to talk about in our time together this morning. One, he says something about this treasure is something that makes it of surpassing value. And we'll unpack that as we go through the morning. And then he says it comes at a considerable cost. All right, so we want to look at both of those because one is just the reality of what is, the surpassing value of it. But we want to understand that. And then the considerable cost, well, that's where we come in. We count the cost. Are we willing to pay the price that's necessary to be able to have the treasure, that which is so valuable? So let's, let's break that out and begin to, to look at it because what we want to understand is that in the Scriptures throughout, and here in this passage particularly, there is an arrow pointing in the direction of this truth, that we have to count all things loss in view of the surpassing value of gaining Christ. That's what we're looking to see if we understand that. Because if we, if we did a little survey this morning in this room, most of the folks who are here are, are regular churchgoers. You, you're here, maybe you're visiting today, and, and this is your first venture into this in a while, and you're not really sure what this is about. But most churchgoing folks that you ask the question, what is the greatest treasure in your life? You're not going to point to Wells Fargo or Bank of America. You're not going to do that. You're, you're going to say company line. You're going to say what you're expected to say is that Jesus is my greatest treasure which gives him the right to say, really? How so? Is that really the truth, the true truth? And how would we know whether that's really true about ourselves or not? We want to believe the best of ourselves, and we want to be gracious to ourselves and think that, yeah, we, we do believe Jesus as our greatest treasure. What do you mean, Pastor? He is my greatest treasure. That's all I'm asking. Is he? And so let's walk through and see if we can answer that in the affirmative when we get to the end of this look and see what might be different from what we might perceive had we not asked the Spirit of God to examine our hearts. What about this, this value? What about this treasure, whether it's the pearl or the treasure in the field? First of all, it, it has intrinsic value. It's not valuable compared to something else. It's, it's not gaining its value because you can take that and leverage it for some other thing. You see, money is valuable to us for what reason? Because of what we can use it for to get something else. And so if I knew that I could just go get anything I wanted anywhere I, I wanted to get it and I could have it all the time and I didn't need money to do that, then money has no more value to me, right? So I, I want to be able to think through what has value in and of itself, something that is intrinsically value and that I don't gain any profit from it. I just gain the pleasure of having it. What is it like that in our lives? Very few things meet that kind of standard. What we're told in the scriptures is that there is this intrinsic value in knowing Christ in and of himself because what we see in these guys in both the hidden treasure and the pearl of great value is that in order to have it, they got rid of everything else that they had. Well, that's highly impractical, right? I mean, what, they don't really mean that. Yeah, he really does. Jesus doesn't spend a lot of time saying stuff he doesn't mean, right? So, so he's back here. This is what I'm telling you. They sold everything that they had. And one of the guys who found the treasure in the field was so careful to make sure that he got it that after he found the treasure, it says that he covered it up. 
nice guy. Don't want to share. You know, I'm covering this thing up. And then he goes, gets rid of everything that he has to be able to go back and have that thing. And so now he has this, this treasure in the field, this pearl of great price. And he has that and nothing else, if we're reading this correctly. Well, what's the point? And in our world, the values are turned upside down so that we don't think of valuable things as intrinsically valuable. They are only valuable as we can leverage them to get other things. We invest a lot in something thinking that we can sell that someday and get more from it, right? We, we do what we do. We buy a house and thinking that one day we'll be able to turn that thing, flip it, and be able to get something bigger. Or we get some kind of investment project going on in order to be able to leverage that for something greater down the road. What is it that we have that is intrinsically valuable, that has value in and of itself, and if you had it, that's all you would ever need, and you'd be satisfied, content with it. If you had nothing else in this world, Jesus says that. That's what this treasure is. There's nothing else like it. And he says it's also a treasure that, that has inestimable value as a result of that. That means it doesn't have a way where you can actually estimate what the possible dollar tag will be associated with it. How much is the Mona Lisa worth? A lot. More specifically, a whole lot. Right. Okay. Why? Because it's it's got an inestimable value. Okay. You don't hear of them in Rome putting up for sale signs at the Colosseum. You know, be torn down soon for condos. You know, you don't see that. Why? Because the Colosseum has inestimable value as an historic site. That's why the world was very upset when ISIS was going into old areas and destroying archaeological sites and thinking, are they crazy? Those have inestimable value. You can't can't put a price tag on that. Right now, while we're here today, there are people over in Princeville. There are people in Kinston. And there are people down in Goldsboro. And there are people down in Lumberton. And they understand inestimable value. My grandma's engagement ring was in that house. I don't, I don't know. What, what was it worth? Everything. I would never have gotten rid of that. That's been in our family for, for three generations, and it was going to go to my daughter and hopefully to her daughter and hopefully to her daughter until Jesus comes. There's an inestimable value. We would never have placed a price tag on that. Well, everything's got a price tag. No, not everything does. Our wedding pictures were in that house. My grandparents' wedding pictures were in that house. How do you, how do you put a price tag on it? You, you can't. And Jesus is helping us to understand here, this treasure has valuable commodities about it, something intrinsic in it that, that gives you pause. You, you can't say how much this is worth in any kind of, of commodity or, or price tag or currency, anything that makes sense. It just, it, it's... It's beyond that. It surpasses value. It goes beyond that. Why? Because it's also infinitely valuable. Because it's tied up, as Jesus is pointing this out, it's tied up in a person, not just a pearl, not just a treasure in a field. That's not the picture here. It's something that has value forever. It will never lose its value. It doesn't increase in value, and it never decreases in value. It just always is what it is. Why? Because the one of whom he is speaking himself is worthy alone to be praised. Right? So we, we sing songs, in Christ 
alone. Why, why him alone? You shall serve the Lord your God and him only. Yeah, there is no other God. There, there's, he's the only one. So there, there's a picture here of, of he has this infinite value in and of himself that there's nothing else like him, and he alone has the pinnacle of our praise in himself. Nobody else is worthy of that praise but him. It's an amazing picture there. So he is alone worthy to be praised. In Revelation 4, it says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power and strength. And you did create all things, and because of your will, they existed and were created. Therefore, Lord, you are forever worthy of our praise. And, Lord Jesus, your Father has declared that I have exalted his name above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. That's who he is. He has infinite value. He has always been that. He will always be that. He is forever the same, the one who is surpassing in value of anything else. And when we have Christ, what do we have? Um, the right answer is everything. Right. Okay. So we, okay. But, but what does that actually look like? One of the first things it does is it, it shows what sin does in our lives by the brightness of the radiance of the shining of the glory of God in the face of Christ reveals itself in our heart as the Holy Spirit begins to unveil the sinful nature that's still there. And we're thinking we're, we're pretty, pretty cool for Jesus and, until the Spirit kind of puts his spotlight on an area. How about that? Well, yeah, but I mean, but that's, you know, that's what it is. Yeah. And it needs to not be there. So one of the blessings we have of having Christ is that there is the revelation of what sin still abides in us, plagues us, deals with that in a practical way. He says, you should make no more provision for that, right? Let's get rid of that. And then you'll find the freedom that you would have in Christ. And so that's one of the blessings. We get freedom from sin. We get a a situation where his mercy becomes very real to us. It's not a matter of us thinking that you're going to do God a favor. I'm going to do God a favor by putting on his jersey in the world arena. Oh, he's going to be really glad to have me on his team because I'm really pretty, pretty awesome. Jesus is going to be happy to have me. And no, you will, when you have Christ and this treasure is yours, all of a sudden mercy is going to make sense to you. Because when you see your sin, you're going to say, Lord, have mercy upon my soul. Which then opens your eyes to see what grace really is. You have no claim on the favor of God whatsoever. And therefore, anything and everything he's done for you is purely by his grace. You have no merit. You cannot earn. You cannot deserve what he so freely gives you. So mercy falls on you. And then grace is offered to you when you have this treasure. It's pretty, pretty amazing stuff. Then you have the privilege of being able to have freedom, comfort, confidence in the promises of God being real and better than any promise of this world. That's one of the lessons I learned when I'm hearing all these guys trot these big numbers out in front of me and says, wow, look what you could do with this. Well, yeah, look what you could do with this. Right? God has granted to me to each one of us, everything pertaining to life and godliness through these great and magnificent promises, he says in Second Peter 1. 
So he says, yeah, we, we get that when we, when we have gained Christ. Look at, look at all the stuff that comes with the package plan. We, we have this living hope, this power in us for purity and holiness to enable us to walk by the power of the Spirit, that the word that came to us was not just in word only, but in power and with a conviction and with the Holy Spirit coming to us. What a treasure this is for us. And then one day, we're going to see him face to face. 1 John 3, 3 says, and when we see him, we shall see him as, his, as he is and, and we'll be like him. And so in the meantime, when we gain Christ, he begins the process of transforming us so that the character of Christ is shaped in us and we become conformed to his image. All these pictures are ours. So is, there, is this valuable to you? Does this make sense? This is something that has a surpassing value. And we, we see that and you go, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. We get that. We, we understand what that is. All right, well, if that's the case, then if there's an absolute value in knowing Christ, as he indicates throughout the scriptures that there is, what would we be willing to pay for something of that high value? Recognizing right up front that you can't afford it, Right? You got, you got nothing to give that's going to be the equivalent in worldly terms of what that value is. So we've got to understand that there's nothing that we can bring to the game that's going to enable us to actually bid on that, right? We don't, we don't have anything. So whatever we give, we received it from him by his grace. And so when we see the surpassing value of it, then we see that there's going to be a considerable cost involved because what do I have to do to have access to the resources to be able to have what he promises me I can have. Well, there's two major costs. The one is the cost that accrued to God himself. The Father paid dearly for us to have this treasure. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That, that believing on him, that, that gift that he's given us, that's what the Father has done. And so we see that, and, and we're amazed by what it costs the Father. And as he looks at a world around us in our culture and around the world that's saying, well, yeah, but that's very narrow to say Jesus is the only way to know the Father. He's going, you think if there was another alternative, I would not have chosen it? than sacrificing my own son to die on the cross and having to forsake him in the moment that he took your sin upon himself. There is no other way for that forgiveness to happen, no other way for you to know me except through the son, or else I would have taken it. So it cost the father dearly. What did it cost the son? Wow. You can watch movies like The Passion. You can read the accounts of the, of the uh, Passion Week and the Scriptures. You can do whatever you want to to try to get a handle on that, and you, you just can't quite get there because we, we end up kind of ended up with the, with the physical pain of this, the, the scourging part and the crucifying part and, and all the other things that went along with the physical side. But you've got to know that for Jesus to be able to say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He's knowing that in just that short period of time on the cross, he's also going to be saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The pain of that price. So it costs God dearly for us to be able to even think in terms of considering having this treasure. He says the, the treasure is of infinite value. 
Intrinsic value. It's got that. It's there. Surpassing value of that. The only way we can have access to it is what it costs the Father being offered to us freely. Now, that brings the question to us. What's the cost to us? Jesus tells us we need to count the cost. So what is this going to cost us? And can we afford it? Well, let's, let's see. We've got, to, we've got to be able to do that. We've got to give up ourselves. We've got to, according to the scriptures, actually die to ourselves. Jesus says that if you want to come after me, you're going to have to deny yourself. You're going to have to take up your cross daily, and then you're going to have to follow. Denying yourself, taking up the cross, which is not this idea of I need to bear my cross, meaning I'm going to go through a little inconvenience. No, the cross is an instrument of what? death. You're going to die. We don't really highlight that in our gospel presentations very often. Yeah, by the way, to know Christ, first thing you need to understand, you're going to have to die. Okay, can we keep going now? No. <laughs> what do you mean? I'm have to, what, what does that mean? I have to die first. Well, that's a part of the package plan, you know? And so let's start with that. So it's going to cost us our lives. We can't water that down. We can't pretend that's not there. We just need to understand what that means. That's a big cost. A friend of mine is a professor, and he had a student that came to him and says, hey, Prof, I want to I be a godly man like you. He says, no, you don't, which is a little, you know, confrontive. Um, yeah, yeah, I really do. No, you don't. Now, if you're that student, you, by this time you want to punch the guy, you know, and say, yes, I do want to be like Jesus. You take that back, you know. Well, okay, this is a little mixed picture here. Uh, punch you for Jesus, right? Uh, no. What are we saying, what do you mean I don't want to do that? And he says, well, it's available to you. You can be like Christ, but it's going to cost you a lot. Do, do you really want to be a faithful witness for Christ? Share, share your faith with people. Okay, no. Okay. Do you really want to be up at 5 o'clock every morning and have some time in prayer in the Word before you go to work? Well, so, okay, so you see, I mean, I got to be work real early, and that's kind of really hard. Okay, so you don't want to do that. Well, I do, but, I mean, I just got, well, you're going to have to go to bed earlier at night to be able to make that happen. Well, see, that's my favorite shows are on, like at 10. And so, but, uh, but and then the news is on at 11, so I got to stay up and see that. And so, so what you're saying is you want to be like a follower of Christ unless you have to do anything different from what you've been doing. No, it's going to cost you. There's a, there's a cost involved here. So how, how do we process that? It will cost us to be able to be a follower of Christ. What will it look like? It's going to cost us, as we consider what it's going to be, we need to think through what are we willing to pay. And, and so in the parables, Jesus is saying these guys cashed out completely. They, they cashed out to be able to have the pearl of great price and the treasure in the field. Are we willing to cash out for Christ in whatever it is that God has entrusted us? Are we willing to do that? We've got to get to the place, and this is where this discipleship picture is so daunting for us because we've got to get to the place where we're willing to say, I would be satisfied with a life in which I don't have money, I don't have a home, I don't have transportation, I don't have good health, I don't even have my family anymore. I would be willing to have that life if I could have Christ. Whoa, no, 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 no. That's, that's, the Bible doesn't even say that. 
Oh, yeah, it does. And it says it pretty boldly in a lot of different places. You remember the rich man that came to Jesus? Master, good teacher, what should I do? And how can I have eternal life? He says, well, have you done this and this and this? Yeah, I've done all that. Well, then go sell everything you got and give it to the poor and come follow me. Talk to the hand. I mean, no, I'm not doing that. That's, that's, that's fanatical. That's weird. That's over the top. That's not what you want. Is there surpassing value in what you want? Well, see, that's where the switching of the price takes in. We don't think that there's the surpassing value. We, we, if we give this, we want something to show for it. And we're not sure that we've been convinced of the surpassing value of knowing Christ yet. He says, no, to know Christ, it's to give up all. All that I am and all that I have so that I might have that surpassing value, Christ, that I can gain him. Okay? I saw a book several years ago, probably 20-some years ago before I first ran across it. It was, it was a book called The Disciple, and it's by um, a South American pastor named Juan Carlos Ortiz. And, and in this book, he, he sets up this little conversation between the seller and the buyer, potential buyer. It's a fascinating little conversation. And so the, the picture is just the parable of the pearl of great price. That's what he's doing. He's trying to take that and, and show how that works. So, so he's saying here, and let me just read it. I tried to figure out how to get to this place without just reading it. And I, he did it so much better than I could. Uh, maybe I should just have Scott do it. Scott, if you could. No, I just kidding. But I mean, what do we do as pastors when somebody says something? Well, we just read it. All right, you, you okay with that? Where are you going to go anyway, right? I mean, lunch is not until 1230. Let's go. So what he, what he says, he says, I, I want this pearl. How much is it? And the seller says, well, it's very expensive. Well, how much, we ask? Well, a very large amount. Do you think I could buy it? Well, of course, everyone can buy it. But didn't you say it was very expensive? Yes. Well, how much is it, we ask? Everything you have, says the seller, and we make up our minds, all right, I'll buy it, we say. Well, what do you have, he wants to know. Let's write it down. Well, I have $10,000 in the bank. Good, $10,000, what else? That's all, that's all I have. Nothing more? Well, I have a few dollars in my pocket. How much? We start digging. Well, let's see, 30, 40, 50, 60, 80, 100, $120. I don't know who this guy is. I don't carry that. I mean, this is, this is a interesting guy. He said, well, that's fine. Well, what else do you have? Well, that's it. Nothing at all. Where do you live? He's still probing. In my house? Well, yeah, I have a house. The house too then. He writes that down. You mean I have to live in my camper? Oh, you have a camper. <laughs> I write that down. What else? If I do that, I'll have to sleep in my car. Oh, you have a car. Well, yeah, two of them. They're mine. Okay, write that down. Both of them become mine. What else? Well, you already have my money, my house, my camper, my cars. What more do you want? Are you alone in this world? Well, no, I have a wife and two children. Oh, yeah, your wife and children too. What else? I have nothing left. I'm left alone now. Suddenly the seller exclaims, oh, I almost forgot. You yourself too. Everything becomes mine. Your wife, your children, your house, your money, your cars, and you too. Then he goes on. Now listen, I will allow you to use all these things for the time being. But don't forget that they're mine, just as you are. And whenever I need any of them, you must give them up because now I'm the owner. 
That's how it is when you're under the ownership of Christ. That's the price. Are you willing to go that way? Are you willing to give up your leisure? Well, yeah, as long as it doesn't cut into my fun time. Okay, we're going to have to define leisure for you then. Yeah. Well, I'd love to, but I, you know, I just, no, I, I can't give up my leisure. How about my passions? Well, I'm passionate about the football games yesterday. I wouldn't have missed those for anything. But this morning when I got in the summer shining, church was kind of optional. You know, when they were singing the songs, my heart was going, yeah, that's a, that's a cool song. When I was at the ball game, I was screaming my head out. Where, where are my passions telling me my heart really is here? Uh, where are my passions? Are they going to belong to him? Does my work qualify as the thing that gets my best all the time? Or does Christ get some of that? I'm, I'm willing to train from a job. Am I willing to train in righteousness? And what that means. My relationships. Am I willing to operate in a world where all of my relationships are shaped by a total sellout to Christ. Now, all I possess belongs to him. If I want to pay the price, having counted the cost for that which has surpassing value, he gets all that I have, but also he gets all that I am. That's where that passage comes back in again, Luke 9, 23. If you want to come after me, if you want to follow me, be my disciple, it's going to mean deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and then come follow me. It's going to cost you your self-righteousness. You can't compare yourself to other people anymore and think how much better you are than others. You're going to compare yourself to the value of the one that you're seeking. And then all of a sudden, you won't be able to claim self-righteousness anymore. You won't be able to do that. How about your sin? You're going to make no provision for your flesh or your desires anymore when you come to Christ. You, you give that up. Well, I, I don't really sin anymore. I don't send any less, but no, it's, it's going to have to go. How about your rights? You don't have any. Every American is endowed with certain inalienable rights. Yeah, but at the cross, you, you died to all those. Dead people don't have rights. You, you don't have any rights anymore. I'll sue you for saying that. Why? For your rights? Oh, yeah, okay, right. You don't have any. I don't have any. You, you lose your favor with the world. They're not going to love you for standing up and telling the truth. Politicians find out they get voted out of office when they say, no, on principle, I can't but do this. Well, we're going to find somebody who will do what we want them to do so that we benefit from it rather than those who would do right on principle. No, you're going to have to give up your favor with the world. Wow. J.C. Ryle said that it's harder to deny your pride self than your sin self. So when you're trying to give up your self-righteousness, that might be hard. He also goes on to say a cheap Christianity without a cross will prove in the end to be a useless Christianity without a crown. So don't think that this is going to be nothing. It's going to have a cost. So here you have the surpassing value. Paul says it phenomenally well in Philippians 3. He says, beginning in verse 7, whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. That's what he wants us to understand. Daniel chapter 11 says that those who know God stand firm and they take action. 
Well, the body of Christ is filled with a lot of people who don't really know what it is to know Christ because they have not counted the cost, and the surpassing value of knowing him has escaped us. And therefore, we don't stand firm, and we don't take action, and we become little Wilbur Milktoast Christians who are not making much of an impact on the culture or having a great, deep, profound relationship with the God of the universe through Christ. We're missing all of it. And so he says, no, come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden, and I'm going to give you rest, and I will give you this value, and I will grant to you the greatest treasure, and you will love me, and you will find your satisfaction in me, and you will find that your heart desires nothing else but me. Psalm 73 says, whom have I in heaven but you, and what else on earth is there that compares with you? I just want you, Jesus. I can be filled up if I just live for the life that you've created for me to live, that I may know Christ and gain him. So the value, it can't even be calculated. It's so surpassing and infinitely valuable, we can't even begin to put a price tag on what that gift is in Christ. Therefore, when it comes time to counting the cost, that can't even be measured. It just is the comprehensive statement of it'll cost you everything. Come, follow me. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and let's go. And then you'll have it all. Now, just a little thing before we close in prayer. I don't know how to do that perfectly well. Do you? I mean, I, I hear this and I kind of go, yeah, I agree with that 100%. Ten years from now, you hear the same message, and you're going like, I agree with it ten years ago, and I agree with it now, but I don't know what needs to happen differently. Ask the Spirit of God today to just kind of stick his finger on some areas in your life, one at a time, Father, if you please, and say, here, here's an area that you can do something before bedtime tonight and establish that you understand the value of what you're getting. Are you willing to do that He's looking for yeses. Yes, Lord, that too. Yes, Lord, that too. Yes, Lord, that too. Are we willing to let him do that? Then we can pray confidently, Lord, you search my heart and you know my thoughts and you look within me and see if there's anything there that needs to be forsaken and given up as a part of the price that I pay that I might gain Christ. The pearl of great price, the greatest treasure, the one who has surpassing value above anything else this world and the world to come will ever know. Let's pray. Father, we need you. Every hour, the old hymn says, we need you. We, we think we've got kind of a handle on it, and we think we've kind of gotten to a place where We've got a sticking point in our faith where we've, we've gotten beyond just the, the milk of the faith and we feel like we're chewing on some meat now. And then, Lord, you, you raise the stakes again and you ask us to come all in with all that we are and all that we have and, and bring it to you. Father, may we understand the fullness of what you're promising here, that all that, when it belongs to you, can be entrusted back to us made holy, acceptable, pure, powerful, and righteous by the very fact that you own it and we don't anymore. 
and that everything we give to you, we are able to receive back multiplied infinitely more than we could ever see it become in our own hands. Lord, may we trust you. May we love you. And may we live for you for Christ's sake. Amen.